Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of January 28th through the 30th, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Uh, if you're in the Northeast, I hope you're able to stay warm with the bomb cyclone that kind of hit us this past uh, weekend with a foot of snow and ridiculously cold temperatures. Um, you know, that kind of helped this last weekend's box office scores, but we'll tune in and, and check it out shortly. Now, this is already a little bit of a late episode, an abbreviated one at that. Uh, things are particularly busy at work for me this week, and on top of that, I'm sorry, actually, as an apartment hunt for in one of the most ridiculous rental markets uh, in the city, in the country, New York City, uh, which is basically like another full-time job. So Bill, he was able to find time to actually write and record this episode. So it's going to be a short entry this week. Just wanted to make sure I got something in your feeds. So we'll just go ahead and jump straight into the domestic box office. You know, no new real entries, which kind of helps um, as there were no new wide releases. Uh, in first place, we have Spider-Man No Way Home dropping 20% uh, to $11 million for the weekend, and it's, I believe, seventh weekend. Uh, running domestic total is $735 million, less than $30 million away uh, from beating Avatar's domestic total for the number three spot all-time domestic. Offshore actually crossed the billion dollar mark, crossing the top ten for non-domestic for non-domestic box office. Notably, it did so without China. Um, you know, only one of uh, I believe you know a handful of films to do so. Um, you know, The Force Awakens, Avengers: Infinity War, Titanic. Avengers Endgame and the first Avatar all had some China revenue, um, but they were able to also clear a billion dollars without that China revenue regardless. So still for, you know, no way home to get there without China at all is, is pretty astounding. Uh, second place goes to Scream from Paramount, dropping 41% in its third weekend, down to $7.2 million for a running total of $62 million domestic. Another $44 million abroad puts it at $106 million worldwide, well ahead of its $24 million production budget. A third place goes to Sing 2 from Universal, you know, the, the obligatory family-friendly film, dropping only 19% to $4.6 million for a running total of $134 million domestic, another $133 million offshore, putting it at, at uh, $267 worldwide. Uh, fourth place goes to week two of the Western Christian drama Redeeming Love, dropping 50% to $1.7 million for a cumulative $6.4 million lifetime. And then fifth place goes to the Kingsman at 1.6 million, dropping a pretty solid 7%, uh, helped by a gain in number of theaters for a running total of 33.9 million to date. Another 80 million put so overseas puts at 114 million worldwide. Outside the top five, there's some interesting moves here. Uh, last week's time capsule of a film from 2014, The King's Daughter, dropped 40% in its second weekend to only 435,000. Um, I won't even bother looking at what its cumulative total is at this point. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife somehow rose from the dead with another 109 additional theaters to go up to 1,170 total, putting at a gain of 19% of the weekend, though still less than a million. Currently sits at 128 in its 11th weekend, which actually puts it on pace ahead of the 2016 Ghostbusters for the first time in its run. Um, this 2016 Ghostbusters capped out at 128.3 million, I believe, uh, after 17 weekends. At its 11th weekend, it was at about 127 point something. So maybe this was like a push by the studio to get it ahead of that uh, that 2016 Ghostbusters film. 
Uh, Nightmare Alley got a boost of 713 theaters, up uh, 124% to just about half a million dollars in 1,103 theaters for its black and white version. Um, other films getting back theaters include Encanto gaining 195 to go up to 640, Parallel Mothers getting an extra 573 to go up to 684, Belfast another 133 up to 196, and in Dune, we expanded into 143 IMAX screens to 248 total, and in documentary, animated documentary international film Flea gained 183 theaters to go up to 220. Uh, meanwhile, for total dollars, uh, Bell crossed anime film Bell crossed the uh, $3 million mark at the domestic box office, while Eternals ended its 12-week run at $164.9 million, the second worst domestically in the MCU, only beating out 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Though at the very least, its international numbers did help it break out ahead of Black Widow and Captain America the First Avengers for worldwide total. Uh, looking at limited releases, we had the limited Beatles Get Back rooftop doc, uh, concert from Disney in 64 IMAX theaters, making 391000 for a pretty solid 5840 per theater average. Um, it's set to return to IMAX on February 11th. Uh, GameStop Rise of the Player, a documentary, uh, debuted in 267 theaters to only $74,000 total or per theater average of 280. Uh, the Finnish International Oscar Contender Compartment Number 6 opened in three theaters for a per theater average of 3171 And Sort Bus, which is a re-release of the 2006 erotic comedy drama had a one theater re-release to $12,205 for the highest per theater average of the weekend. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, though, we have maligned director Woody Allen with the 49th film of his career, uh, Rifkin's Festival, opening to only $24,000 in 26 theaters. It does not even register on most of my usual sources, to be honest. Uh, overall, the total box office for this weekend dropped down to $34.8 million total. Uh, looking at this weekend, we have Jackass Forever opening wide from Paramount, uh, forecasted by box office post for $23 to $33 million. Um, while Roland Emmerich's disaster film Moonfall from Lionsgate is expected to make $8 to $15 million. Now, despite you know Jackass expected to make more than, than Moonfall, the budgets are flipped with Jackass only costing about uh, $10 million or so, which explains, I guess, how it got greenlit. Um, while Moonfall will reportedly due to funding from Tencent and Hawaii, um, two major Chinese companies, um, has a budget of $140 million. So um, yeah, that's definitely looking like a bit of a crazy budget for that one. Now, looking internationally, in addition to Spider-Man crossing a billion dollars overseas and making the top six of all time in the UK, there was another box office milestone this weekend worth mentioning. Uh, Paw Patrol the movie crossed $100 million uh, overseas as well, helped by its run in China. Now, speaking of China, you know, yesterday, February 1st, was the first day of the Lunar New Year Festival. Now, I'm going to wait till next week to talk about, you know, the final results. Um, for the, but, the for, but so far, the forecast for what Lake Changjin 2, uh, Watergate Bridge, ended up making, um, is presu and presumably the top film of the opening day, uh, looks to be at about 650 million won, or about 102 million US dollars, pre-sales of about 41 million dollars for opening day. Uh, other films have pre-sales of, you know, Only Fools was in with $17 million US, uh, Nice View had $16.7 million, and Too Cool to Kill had another $15.9 million in pre-sales. Overall, the weekend looks to be a little bit depressed relative to the Lunar New Year holidays of past years, even last year in 2021, uh, uh, pre-sales being down across the board. Um, these are for total admits as opposed to dollars. Um, 
for 2018, there were 17.5 million total admissions um, pre-sold. Uh, 2019 had 16 million, and 2021 had 21.25 million dollars. However, you know, 2022 looks to be less, and all of that with only 11 million dollars admit, 11 million pre-sold uh, admissions being pre-sold for the opening day. And then notably, while it's not part of uh, China's numbers, uh, Hong Kong theaters have also been closed for almost a month due to the Omicron variant and will likely miss out on the lucrative film period. So, you know, nothing there's nothing super interesting in the China box office worth breaking out, uh, you know, by numbers. Uh, so we'll skip that for this week. Uh, looking at some numbers beyond the headline, you know, we have some new releases and new films in development. Uh, it looks like despite a lackluster performance at the box office, the strong streaming performance of the first Mortal Kombat movie on HBO Max led to Warner Brothers greenlighting a sequel uh, with writer Jeremy Slater uh, attached to it. Um, he had worked on the upcoming Moon Knight series from Disney+. Plus. Um, Jason Momoa is apparently going to be joining the family to work with Vin Diesel on the upcoming Fast and Furious 10 film. Uh, and then after Yang, the newest film from art house director Kogonada, uh, who directed the meditative film Columbus. Um, that's set to premiere both in theaters and on Showtime on March 4th. Now moving to financial news, uh, you know, recent reports from Peacock, uh, the streaming service, suggests it has 9 million standalone paying subscribers out of 24.5 million total um, and 7 million more paying subscribers via bundle, uh, which works out to about uh, 1.7 billion in annual losses uh, when you consider it makes about a billion dollars total in subscription and ad revenue per year. So yeah, not, not a great look for, for Peacock there. Um, checking in with the acquisitions from Sundance, Cha-Cha Real Smooth got picked up by Apple for $15 million in a world rights, worldwide rights deal. Not quite the $25 million of Coda from last year, but still pretty respectable. Um, this contrasts to the Peacock uh, number. Um, but then again, Apple you know, does seem to you know, look at Apple TV as a loss leader um, for the sale of hardware and phones and such, as opposed to being uh, profitable in its own right. Um, you know, the content of this game is pretty tough, all told. You know, there were some reports that Disney and HBO Max, you know, they had spikes in people subscribing for their services for Hamilton and for Wonder Woman 1984. It looks like six months on from those, uh, you know, spikes, um, only about half of the U.S. subscribers remain, which is not a great sign for retention. Uh, viewer data also suggests that, you know, Netflix turns to its con to, um, you know, what's being popular pretty much, pretty quickly, I think in like less than a month or so, uh, which would be of no surprise to anyone. Uh, back to some you know, more more financial numbers. You know, uh, Dune Studio Legendary it looks like it got seven hundred sixty million dollars in investment from Apollo Investment Group. Uh, interesting to see how that's going to work out with regard to being owned already owned by the Wanda Group. Um, similarly, uh, STX, which was acquired last December for one hundred seventy three million dollars by uh, Najafi Companies, uh, looks like the rumors are that it's that Lionsgate is going to make a bid to try to acquire it, um, though nothing is official at this point. Uh, and then looking at Wall Street, you know, AMC, things are looking up for them with a pre-announcement of sorts that they're going to have that they're going to report their strongest quarter in the past two years. Um, something something diamond hands, something something apes. So yeah, like I said, this week's you know pretty quiet, pretty quick episode, just because I'm swamped with a lot of things I need to work on. Still, I'm gonna leave with you what, I, what I've been watching lately. I haven't been watching a lot of movies, but I got to see a Broadway play this past weekend for my wife's birthday. Uh, we got tickets to see Hades Town, the much acclaimed musical retelling of the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, as befitting for a story with a ton with, about someone really, really good at music, the live music was was exceptional. Done in a jazzy band, uh, by the band on stage, adding a lot of energy, particularly of the trombone character um, and backing up you know uh, Andre the Seals who plays Hermes um, who definitely deserved his uh, Tony Award there 
Now, as a Filipino, you know, I'm definitely looking, I was definitely looking forward to Evan Noblezada's performance as Eurydice. Um, now, our Orpheus was actually uh, Jordan Dobson, who wasn't the normal Orpheus. Uh, Reeve Carney, who's Eva's boyfriend, was on break, and this was actually Dobson's last performance in the role, so he got a bit of a larger, uh, you know, cheer during the applause, uh, or the, the, the um, uh, yeah, applause at the end. Now, other standout bits of the show, you know, were the set use and lighting, which really stood out. Now, if I had a critique, I would say that, you know, there's definitely a lot of spectacle to the performance, um, which is, you know, I think what really makes theater stand out even more so than film. Um, but, you know, I think the narrative was kind of light and at worst, you know, somewhat muddled, especially if you didn't understand the original Greek myth. Um, like, was the gods actually gods or were they supposed to be, you know, kind of analog as, you know, not actually gods, but just like really powerful individuals in the world? Um, like, it's really, and, and, and hard to say what all that was about. Um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, I think it stands out above its peers. Obviously, it won a bunch of Tony Awards, um, but I'm not sure how it's going to stand up to the test of time to become like a true classic, like West Side Story or Les Mis. Um, still, overall, I enjoyed it. Looking forward to seeing Eva in other projects like, uh, you know, Joe Coy's Filipino film Easter Sunday later this year. Uh, but with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. You can shoot me ideas for those I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us also on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend that any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in this show come from dnumbers.com. Intro and outro music from Kevin Mackley at edwincompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninsboy Media. Till next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. Remember, our watch goes on. 